Hey Church of the Beloved, thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by our interim senior pastor, Abe Lee. He is preaching from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. So I want to start off by proclaiming something. I love being your pastor here. I love serving Church of the Beloved, spending uh, time shepherding the women and the men of this church, my sisters and my brothers here, so that we might all draw nearer to the Savior together has been awesome. You know, doing that over coffee, doing that in small groups, doing that over dinner. And I want to, speaking of which, Thank you very much, uh, Derek, for sharing about the family or friends who are family dinners. Um, I, I'll tell you, Suzanne and I, we started this tradition when we were at three campuses with the Wicker Park campus. Basically, what we did is we invited folks who were in our neighborhood to come over every second Sunday. And every second Sunday, we just have a potluck dinner, uh, family style, you know, just sharing food, sharing stories, sharing laughter, and reminding each other that we're all part of a community together part of the body of Christ. So this is why we wanted to really start, uh, we, we tried it out with some of the other communities already, but starting today, we're officially extending it out to all the neighborhoods that Derek mentioned, Wicker Park, Humboldt, Bridgeport, Uptown, and Downtown. Now, if you live in one of these communities, I really ask you, even if it's last minute, come join us. It's a, it's a potluck. Be part of these family dinners. And so if, since it's a potluck, we shouldn't run out of food, I hope. Um, Bridgeport, Opal and Shane will be hosting that one. If you don't know who they are, that means you're not in Bridgeport. Uh, Sarah is going to be hosting the one here downtown. And if you don't know, Sarah literally lives here, like in this building above us. Um, And Stacy and Peter are going to be hosting the one in Humboldt Park. Uh, Yuji will be hosting the one in Uptown, and we've got Wicker Park. If you want to host one yourselves in your community, talk to me, talk to Yuji. We'd love to help you get set up for next month, but we really encourage you guys and gals to be a part of this because it's how we continue to grow as a community. Uh, sometimes it's hard to do when we're in a bigger space, uh, something that's much easier when we're intimately connecting with each other. So anyway, uh, getting back to this, I, I love serving as your pastor, and one of the things that I get to do as a pastor who comes before you every week to preach and to teach, one of the things I have the ability to do is to clarify <laughs> points of confusion, especially any that happened the previous week, and I have to do that today. Um, Last week, I said something that made a few people scratch their heads, Uh, and thank God my wife, Suzette, she pointed it out to me. Um, Last week, I said that originally, I did not intend to serve as your pastor here, but that by God's grace and by your encouragement here at Church of Love, now I do. I do want to be a pastor of this church, and, and, and wanting that is a good thing. But what I have to clarify is this. This was not me submitting my name to be considered to be the senior pastor. That was not my intent. And for context, let me explain. The covenant members of the Church of the Beloved, you should have received an email, uh, I think on Tuesday, giving us all an opportunity to vote on whether we believe, we agree that Pastor Clint has been called to be the shepherd, to be the senior pastor of our church. And as you are prayerfully discerning your understanding of Clint's call, some of you may be under the impression that what this vote is, this decision is intended to be, is an affirmation of Clint's call to replace or to essentially let me go 
as a pastor. Uh, that's not it. That's not the intent. That this, this is a call to discern whether Clint has been called to join, not replace me as a shepherd of this church. See, my realization and my proclamation that I desire to serve as a pastor, I'll tell you, that was my confirmation that I'm going to continue to serve as a pastor of this church, your pastor for this church, just not the senior not the, or interim senior pastor. It's an affirmation that if, he is, if you discern that he is called, we're going to have two pastors. We're not going to swap pastors. And I apologize for not making that clear in the past, and I hope that will help some of you in your discernment of uh, affirming or not Clint's call to serve as a pastor. Anyway, I wanted to clarify that and clear that up because I apologize for making that confusing last week. That was not my hope. But anyway, we're going to do what we do and start with a recap of this Letters from a Friend sermon series. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time, let me just explain what we're doing. We're, we're looking at Paul's letters. <laughs> By the way, we had an icebreaker <laughs> yesterday as part of one of our small groups. Um, and the question was asked, and the same question that was asked in another small group on Wednesday that we hosted our house, uh, what minor inconvenience causes major anger or angst? Or, is, that, is that right? Well, whatever it was. Um, and the one that... Kevin, I, I have to tell this one. The one that Kevin shared <laughs> was it really bothers him when people constantly repeat the same thing over and over again. I've been repeating the same thing over and over again for the last three months. <laughs> so I'm not sure how you're doing, Kevin, but uh, <laughs> about to do it now. Okay, so anyway, let me recap. We've been looking at Paul's shorter letters, the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, and we're going to look at uh, Philemon next week, or in two weeks. And we kicked off this series by looking at Paul's life. And looked at Paul's life and how his life reminds us that no one is beyond God's reach. Galatians, unity in our Christian liberty. Ephesians is about unity in our diversity. Philippians is about unity in our humility. Colossians is about being united as a family who lives as Christ loves. First Thessalonians, it reminds us that it is only with the power of the Holy Spirit that we can be sanctified even through our afflictions. And then Second Thessalonians is a call for all of us to work to do good, and to pray while we wait for Jesus to come back. And then last week, finally, we looked at 1 Timothy, which was a, a letter to Timothy from Paul, and talked of how pastors were not special. Right? Rather, we are the ones that God has placed among the family of Christ to be examples, to exemplify who we are all called to be. We are all called to be spirit-filled, gospel-transformed disciples who know they are the beloved of God because of Christ alone. So that's a recap of where we've been for the last three months. Today, we're going to look at the second letter to Timothy. Um, and what I want to do is I want to look at how Paul wants Timothy to understand that it is in Scripture. It is God, the God-breathed, Holy Spirit-inspired word that was Jesus and word that is Jesus. It is to understand that it is in Scripture that we, as the beloved of God, will be equipped to be in the world, but not of the world. That we'll be able to do every good work through Scripture. Every good work that will allow us to experience the love, the family, and the community that God always intended, that he had always 
designed. In other words, Paul wants Timothy and Paul wants every single one of us who are who's listening today to understand that to be saturated, that we need to be saturated by scripture so that we can be sanctified by our Savior. If you would, we're going to turn to chapter 4, verse 6 to 8 in 2 Timothy. And this is what it says there. It says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I'll tell you, uh, most theologians agree that, that this letter was written during Paul's last imprisonment while he was in jail. Soon after this letter, Paul was beheaded. Now, as a Roman citizen, he could not be executed by crucifixion because crucifixion was too shameful a death and not used on citizens. Only non-citizens were crucified. So he was likely beheaded. And Paul knew that it was coming. He knew that the end was near. He says, I'm already being poured out. He says, the time of my departure has come. He knew he was about to die very soon. So if you can imagine this, Paul sitting in a dark, dank hole in the ground, waiting to die. And this is his last words. This is the letter he writes to his dear friend and to his spiritual child. He says to Timothy, my time's about up, but don't look at my life as a waste. Look at my life as a win. Because I know that my dad in heaven, he's God. And that because of the simple fact that I love his son and I accept gift of Jesus' perfect life as a replacement for my imperfect one, because of this, I'm going to get it all. I win, along with you and everyone else who loves and lives for Christ. Those are his last words. Now, I don't know about you, but knowing that this is Paul's dying declaration, knowing that these were amongst his, his last words, Back in uh, 2011, my, my former boss, um, he passed away of pancreatic cancer. And Suzette and I, we had just flown back from a company uh, holiday party. Uh, I think it was in Ireland or in Vegas or somewhere. I actually don't remember where it was. But I remember getting home. We hadn't even unpacked yet and getting a phone call from one of the founders. We, we were a small startup, so I knew everyone there. But one of the founders of the company, he called me up um, and told me the news that our friend had just passed away. And I remember just falling to the floor. I was like, so it was, it was such a sad thing to find out. I knew he was dying, but it was just... But the impact on his wife was so much greater. And she would come into the office almost every day after he passed away and just sit at his desk and for nearly a year just played his outgoing voicemail message so she could hear his voice. Because they were her dead husband's last words. That's all she had. I'm thinking that, at least for Timothy, it was probably kind of similar. His dear, dear friend, the one that had introduced him to his Savior, these were his last words. And I bring this up not because you know, that should necessarily add more weight to what Paul's writing, but simply because it might give a little bit of insight into maybe where Paul's head was at when he wrote this last letter to Timothy. That's just for 
little context and background. But let's turn to chapter 3, verse 1 to 9, the passage before what Dom read today. I want to read that to you out loud. It says, But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying his power. You know it, Amadeus. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Now, just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Now, this list is, is not a good list. You know, lovers of money, of pleasure, of self instead of God, proud, arrogant, abusive, ungrateful, unholy, heartless. This is, this is not a good list at all. The thing is, as you go through this, you know, as I went through this list, I can honestly say that I do see this not only today in our world, but I see it a little bit in me as well. You know, swollen with conceit, disobedient to my parents, unfortunately. Not loving, doing good. Prioritizing myself at the harm of others. I, I see this list, and I see it in the world today, and a little bit in me. So what does this mean? Does this mean that we're approaching the last days, like Paul says. You know, verse 1, it says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. So if we see this, does that mean Jesus is coming back soon? I hope so. Maybe. I mean, if you consider this, consider the descriptions throughout Scripture of what the last days will be like. And what you will see is that a lot of those signs are happening right now. Matthew chapter 24 I'm going to read to you verse 3 to 14. This is what it says there. As he, Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And, and they will lead many astray. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. <laughs> and many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Wars and rumors of wars. We have that today. You got Ukraine, Taiwan, famines and natural disasters. We have that today. People being led astray. We have that today. The prosperity gospel is one of the... Are we approaching the last days? I think so. Kind of hope so. But, but if you look throughout history, here's the thing. I think that it sounded like the last days for all of them as well throughout history. I think Timothy felt like it was the last days when he looked around. I feel like people in every single age, in every single century who would hear of what the signs of Jesus' return would be like, they probably felt like, oh, these are the last days. They're here. And I think that they were all right to think that way, to do so. Because when Jesus died and rose again from the grave so that by believing in him, we might be saved from eternity in hell, that ushered in the opportunity for Christ to bring heaven down so that we could live with him and the Father and the Spirit forever. See, the death and resurrection of Jesus brought us to the edge of this age right? And now we're walking along the edge of this age, waiting for the moment when Jesus will come back and say, now it's time. We're walking along that razor edge, and the signs that Jesus and that Paul speak of in this chapter, these are signs we see today so that we will live right now like Jesus is going to come back right now. And I think these signs are here now, and these signs were there then, at that time, back in the day, because Christ has called us, his beloved, to always live like he's about to come back right now to bring us home. Is he going to come back soon? Are the last days here? I hope so. I think so. But even if a day doesn't come for centuries into the future, I'm still going to live like that day is coming. I think that's the point, and that's why those signs look like this all the time. And turning to verse 1 again, it says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, and it's going to be hard. Paul is saying we're going to be surrounded, we're going to be tempted to live more in line with our own desires than with God's desires. That's the reality of the world we live in, and, and Paul wants us to understand that we need to avoid those people. Not that we're called to cancel anyone. That's not what he's saying. We are absolutely called to make disciples of all nations. You know, how will people know of the love of Christ unless we tell them about the love of Christ? Unless we give those around us who don't know who Jesus is the news about who Jesus is. So we're absolutely called to share the truth of our Savior so that those who have been chosen by God to be a part of the family of God might be given the opportunity to be adopted into the body of Christ, to be family. That's why we have these monthly dinners, these family dinners. That's why Suzette and I are traveling to Zambia in a couple of weeks. That's why we gather in this place every Sunday so that those who have not heard might have the opportunity to hear. So we cannot ostracize. We cannot sever our relationships with those amongst us who don't know the loving redemption that Jesus' suffering and his resurrection holds and affords to each of us. We need to cling to those so that they might hear. Cling to them so that they might know the gospel of Christ. But at the very same time, 
we cannot allow the influence and the values of the world guide us. It's only this library, this book that can do that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, it says, don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Listen, don't, re- don't, don't limit yourself to just Christian friends, Christians alone. Don't, don't remove your influence from the world, but at the same time, do not be influenced by the world. Because we are called to avoid the priorities of the world and live by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are called to live by the priorities of God. Before we go to the passage that Dom read for us, I want to highlight a few things from uh, verses 1 through 9. The first thing is this. Paul puts lovers of self down as a negative, right? And, and I want to clarify that the opposite of being a lover of self is not being a hater of self, right? You know, self-care and self-love, just like self-hatred and self-loathing. This is actually not what we're called to view ourselves with and, and how we're called to view ourselves. We're called to see ourselves and who we are, image bearers of God, but as image bearers of God who are separated from God in our brokenness, needing the Father's grace. We are called to see ourselves as God sees us. And then God loves us in our sinfulness. God loves us in our imperfection. God loves us. We are beloved. And once we believe that Christ, by his sacrifice on the cross, redeems us, and once the Spirit of God transforms us, which he's doing regularly, God sees Christ in us. See, when Paul says that being lovers of self is not a good thing, he's saying that putting me instead of God first is wrong. That's the point in that one. Paul also says that we're not supposed to be lovers of pleasure, but rather lovers of God. And now, this is not Paul saying that you can't have fun, that you can't enjoy life, that you can't watch Netflix anymore or anything like that, or or Disney or Obi-Wan, which I really want to watch right now, that we cannot love pleasure. It is in loving God that we have pleasure. See, Psalm chapter 16, verse 11 says this. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, loving God doesn't mean giving up joy. Loving God is the means of finding joy. Then you have these two names here, Janice and Jambres. So this is the only place in the Bible where their names come up. Uh, But tradition tells us who they are. According to our understanding from the Old Testament, these are the magicians from Pharaoh's court that went up against Moses. And they tried to mimic Moses miracle for miracle, right? When God turned Moses' staff into a serpent, Janus and Jambres, they did the same thing. But then what's funny is Moses' snake ate their snakes, which is kind of amusing to me. Then when Moses turned the waters of the Nile River into blood, Janus and Jambres took the water in Pharaoh's house and they turned that into blood, which is kind of a dumb move because that made less water to drink for them, and they should have tried to do the other way around. Obviously, they couldn't. But, but regardless, in Exodus, when you look at that, it tells us that all this stuff that they were doing was done by their secret arts or their dark arts or Harry Potter lovers. It was the power of the occult. It was the power of Satan that allowed Janus and Jambres, that allowed those who are opposed to God to do these things. But ultimately, there's a limit. And there will always be a limit. Chapter 3, verse 9 of 2 Timothy says this, but they will not get very far. 
for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Sometimes this might seem like the world is going to hell right now, and maybe it is, I don't know, but there's a limit. And we might wish that that limit had already been reached and that God would send Jesus to bring us home now, you know, so that there would be no more trauma and drama that we'd have to deal with, but we're not there yet. I don't know where that limit is, but Paul's point here in his letter to Timothy is this. As Paul is preparing to die, Paul reminds Timothy, there's a limit to this pain. And that the joy and the pleasure of being in Christ, it is a promise that you can bank on. It is assured. It's a promise that God will never break. And now, we come to the passage and what I'd like for you all to remember the most today. If you forget everything else, remember the main point today, which is God's desire is for us to be saturated in Scripture so that we can be sanctified by our Savior. And I want to thank Dom again for reading, even though he forgot the last bit. Uh, if any of you would like to be a blessing to the body of believers here, you know, your family, by, by reading scripture, if anyone's ever told you that you are extra drama, or if you just know how to read, uh, we'd love for you to consider being one of our readers here. Just reach out to Kevin, and uh, he would get you on that uh, roster for us. But I want to read to you just the first uh, verses 10 and 11 again, uh, if you don't mind. It says this, you, however have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and to, at Lystra. Paul says, you've paid attention to my teaching and my conduct, my life and my faith, my love and my steadfastness, my actions and my words, my life and my heart you have followed. The life that we are called to live in the midst of the madness that's around us, from school shootings to, to racist rants, the spirit-filled, gospel-transformed life each and every one of us is called to live doesn't stop up here with our minds. It comes out in our lives, through our hands. It's not just in the head. It's the transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit of our minds, of our hearts, and of our actions. Because we are called to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds, and with all our might. If you turn to verses 12 to 14, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. Now, if you were to look at the original Greek, Paul's saying that evil people, that imposters, are going to advance, to move from bad to worse. That word is an active pursuit of that which prioritizes self over God. It's an active decision to move further from the Savior. But... On the other side, continuing in what you have learned and believe. If you look at the Greek translation, it means to remain, to stay, to hold fast. It's the exact opposite reaction. It's not chasing after the things that I think will bring pleasure. Rather, it is holding on tight to the thing that I know will bring me peace. We host two small groups at our house, and one of them is studying Second John. 
and, or the letters from John. And in 2 John is a letter from John to the elect lady and her kids. It's, it's a beautiful, short book, letter. Because it's beautiful because of its simplicity. It, it's a simple reminder to us that we are called to love God. That we are called to love those created in the image of God. It's a reminder of the truth. It's a, it's to, it's a holding fast to the old, old story that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Simple. Now, I'll tell you, as a pastor, I admit that sometimes I struggle. I struggle with trying to figure out how to tell a better story, how to find an innovative interpretation to Scripture, to think of a mind-blowing analogy that will provide maybe new insight or just help you stay awake. But the reality is this. The reality is that we are called to hold on to a simple truth trying to be innovative in the reading of scripture for the sake of innovation that is not right we have a simple truth that we're to hold fast to now i'm not saying that we cannot continue to learn we absolutely must we can and should continue to understand scripture in its original context but as well in the present context so there's a book written by uh esau macaulay it's called reading while black it's an amazing insight into the understanding of Scripture from the African-American perspective and from the African-American context. It's not a reinterpretation of Scripture. It's a contextualization of, that, of the truth of the gospel in today's world, into a world where racism exists, but black lives absolutely must matter. It's a presentation of the truth of the gospel within the context of the black experience in America. See, we must learn. We must continue to learn, and we must continue to grow, but we do that by continuing in what we have learned and firmly holding on to what we believe. We do that by holding on tight to the truth of God's worth. We do that being, by being saturated by Scripture, not twisting it, not misunderstanding it. In verses 16 and 17, it says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, just to be clear, I want to say this. This passage is not for men only. In Greek, the word translated as man here is anthropos. Anthropos translates into human being or people as well. So you can read this as that the people of God or for us here at Church of the Blood, that the beloved of God might be made complete and might be made equipped for every good work. That's what Scripture is for. See, we are, at this church, we are spirit-filled disciples transformed by the gospel. We are the beloved of God because of Christ alone. We are loved by God. We are loved by God in our brokenness. We are loved by God in our selfishness. We are loved by God in our sinfulness. We are loved by God. And for those who proclaim Christ's sacrifice as their own, we're not only the beloved of God, we are seen as righteous by God. Beloved of God. Paul is reminding all of us that we have everything we need to continue to live like Jesus is about to come home. Come bring us home. We have everything we need in this library, in this scripture that is breathed by God. We have everything we need so we must be saturated by Scripture so that we can be sanctified by our Savior. 
See, saturating yourself in Scripture is not done simply by coming here every week to listen or listen to a sermon online, though, though it'll help. Saturating yourself in Scripture is not even done by joining a small group, but it'll help. And if you're not part of one, reach out to Opal. We'll definitely want to get you connected. But you see, saturating yourself in Scripture is done, as it says in Psalm chapter 1, verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. When you do that, you see, you will see the transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to bring you joy, to bring you out of your trauma, to bring you, to give you peace through all the storms. Because when we are saturated by Scripture, we are sanctified by our Savior. Thanks for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit us online at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.